Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone. Welcome to an exciting edition of Training Unleashed. We have a very interesting guest today for a lot of reasons. One, this guy really knows training and the impact of training can have on a business, but he's also uh, works for NASCAR racetracks. And he has promised me at the end of the show, we're going to talk about things people should watch for when they watch a NASCAR race that maybe you are not watching for. So I've actually had a little taste of what he's about to share. It's really kind of interesting. So that should be kind of fun. Uh, his name is Jay Neto, uh, and he is a director, and I'm going to let him give you the full title because I'm very dyslexic and I'm below it. So Jay, what, what is your title? I'm the director of risk management and loss control for NASCAR. Excellent. And um, NASCAR, I'm sure you can all imagine, has a lot of risk management and things to concern with and the safety of the, the people, the safety of, of the fans, um, and obviously um, not just human safety, but economic safety too. Um, so I'm just gonna ask you a straightforward question, which is, um, why is it so important? And I think we all know it's important, but how does NASCAR look at safety? Uh, I think, you know, whether it's the on-track competition, what everybody sees in front of the camera, um, it's huge. I mean, the technology that goes into the race cars and stuff like that, that's, I think, what everybody thinks about. But behind the scenes, if anybody's ever gone by a racetrack, there is a, it's an empty facility for a good part of the year. And then all of a sudden it pops up the population of a small town. And to run that, there are hundreds, in some cases, thousands of people supporting that event. And every moving part you have there's a potential for injury or accident, and that equates to a loss, well, whether that's, it could be personal loss or financial loss. And so safety for any business is always gonna be one of the, the priorities they have. And can you kind of just give us maybe a little feeling for the kinds of accomplishments that you have doing what you're doing? You guys track any statistics, anything of that nature? Um, you know, I think the, the end result, you know, at the end of the year, obviously we can look at, you know, how many year over year, how many incidents we have, um, you know, this last year with COVID has been kind of hard to, to put a, uh, put our finger on that number because of reduced, uh, events and, and people sure. traveling and stuff. Um, but you know, year over year, we look at, you know, we have to me, if you had two buckets, we have what happens to our employees. And then if we have stuff that happens at our facilities with our guests, um, and, you know, obviously we want every year to be, we want those numbers to be less and less. And um, it really, the team, I'm just one person in every facility that, that we have has somebody kind of that does a safety role. And each of those take a, an integral part in our plan to reduce those things through training and education and putting the right people in the right positions. Um, so I think Year over year, we've seen a reduction in most of those, but then you have those rare occasions where you may see auto accidents spike because people are traveling more, or you had to hire some new people that maybe didn't realize, didn't know what they were doing, or got into a situation where they, you know, got hurt. So let, let me ask the question a little differently. What would it be like if you didn't do any safety training? With all the volunteers you have, first time, you know, turnover and staff is pretty high because you have a lot of non-full-time people. What, what would it be like? 
probably chaos would be the word I would use. Um, you know, everybody thinks, um, I think anybody that's listening or watching this can relate to it, that everybody thinks they know what, what it takes to do somebody's job. But when you bring in a volunteer group or somebody that maybe Monday through Friday, um, they sell auto parts. And then you bring them in as a on a volunteer basis and they're going to run a concession stand, you know, running grills and stuff like that. Well, that person has to be trained because if you don't train them, their auto parts sales knowledge does not apply to making hamburgers. You know, that's as simple as I can make it. So I think chaos would be the word I would use. Okay. I, I, to I totally get it. So let's just take a few moments and talk about the process. Uh, I'm a volunteer um, and what would I, what would I expect? How would you, how would the training process work for me uh, being a volunteer? So the way we structure, so usually our volunteers will come in um, and it varies from facility to facility. Um, volunteers will come in usually with an organized group. So say um, you, your uh, son or daughter were in a, a club, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever, um, and they wanted to raise money. So that group would come in and we would normally work through that volunteer group, depending on what their assignment is, whether they're, you know, if they were parking cars or handing out, you know, uh, gifts at the gate or something like that. So the training would be figured out what you're going to do, and then it would be detailed to that. It may be training that the, that the um, facility itself provides, or it may be training that the, the group you're part of provides. So would you do it normally like a group leader-led training? Do you do e-learning, virtual? How are you? How are you going about it? Yes. So um, some of it, so it varies. So yeah, usually if it's that volunteer group comes in, it would be a case of we whoever you know whoever the lead person is, we would make sure they have the um, the proper training or that they have the proper credentialing, and we would expect them to pass that on to their volunteers because their volunteer may not be available regular work hours for what Jay does. Um, so they would start off with that. Um, you know, some of it would be in person when it comes to concessions and stuff like that, depending upon where you're at in the, the country or in the world, um, there's different food handling requirements. So some of that, they may have to take an online training course or something to certify that they know the pros and cons of handling poultry and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But it's never, I don't think it's ever just one method of training. It's always going to be multiple. No, I'm definitely a big believer in in blended learning because different people learn different different people learn different ways, uh, for sure. Um, so, what are for you, from your perspective, your biggest learning challenges? I think it's the the seasonal nature of our workforce because again, some tracks have their major event and. That may be the biggest thing that track has. So you're, you have seasonal employees coming in um, that may work three days, three days out of the year for you. Wow. And you're training them, you know, to do that job, you know, maybe a week or two weeks out. You know, it varies again, varies from facility to facility. But that person's coming in and just working a couple of days and then you won't see them until next year. And from the time that event finishes until the next time you see that employee, You've got to make sure that you keep track of everything you've got to, you've got to retrain them and then anything that they weren't previously trained on when they come in next time. So it's, it's a pretty heavy lift uh, because of that. And it would probably be a little bit easier if we were a Monday through Friday profession where we ran, you know, ran races five days a week instead of doing it three times a year at one facility out West. Yeah. Well, I, I do think you have incredibly unique training, training issues. Uh, because of that, 
there's there's no no doubt about it. However, I think there's a lot that you do that applies to everybody in training. And let's just take a second and, and talk about uh, the impact, the financial impact that safety training has on the company. And, and let's maybe first talk about things like workman's comp insurance. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so providing the training, you know, why, why do we provide training? Because we want to make sure that the person going out there obviously knows what they're doing um, because they're, they're there to provide a service. But on the behind the scenes or behind the curtain aspect is if we don't properly train that employee and they become injured, you know, some companies self-insure for their work comp, some companies run that program through, through somebody else. And that's one of the first things that they're going to find out or they're going to ask, was the employee trained to do this job? Um, and I'm not saying somebody putting the bun on upside down. I'm talking about was this this employee hurt their back lifting a box? Was that employee is was that in their job description? And were they trained on how to avoid that injury or that incident from occurring? Um, so it definitely, it, you know, training can you can almost I think correlate training to any part of your business where it touches. Um, even somebody that an administrative person working in an office, there's a certain amount of training or education that goes with that. Um, just as it relates to ergonomics, somebody sitting at a desk all day, they may not have the, the potential to fall off a ladder, but repetitive injury is something that can occur. And that's where I think the challenge is sometimes people that don't think they're at risk, you have to really point out to them that you have, you have some training needs that are, that are required. So and one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you is the people listening here primarily in training. And, you know, the big question always asked in training is what's your ROI? You know, how do we know we're successful? So some people jump to things like net promoter score. Did we move in, in, or customer satisfaction score? You know, did we move that needle? Uh, some, will, some will look at, um, you know, closing rates, depending on the kind of business they're in or average ticket. If it's a restaurant, they'll, you know, they'll jump to those type of things. But there actually is another economic return which is the cost and reduction of workman's comp and liability insurance. And a lot of times those savings can pay for the entire training department. Um, and that, but people don't spend the time thinking about that. And then here's the part that's even worse, Jay, because I talk to people about this all the time. People don't talk to their insurance company, even if they're doing the training to take advantage of some of the discounts and benefits that they can get by demonstrating that they're doing some of the things necessary to reduce rates. Absolutely. And, and it really is the same way I, in my personal life, if when I, if I change the auto insurance insurers, I'm going to find out what I can, whether I can get a reduction for my age or my good driving, or that I went to a class 15 years ago. And that's the same thing in a business. You want to take advantage of everything you can, but you have to be actively engaged with your insurance company. And if that's not your department um, at your company, find out who it is and talk to them and find out, Hey, look, we're doing this. Is this what we, this is what I think we need to be doing, but is there something else we should be doing that would help them feel more comfortable with the product or the employee that we're putting out there to do these jobs? Yeah. Interesting. So tell me about how you staff your training department, given the seasonal nature of the business. So as I stated earlier, you, most of uh, all of our facilities, there's somebody that kind of had wears, you know, that hat of training and it's usually um, they have counterparts in each department. So if you think about what we're doing on a race day, we're doing everything from 
um, assisting fans in locating their seats to having um, medical trained personnel that are on the racing surface responding to those big crashes that everybody sees. Um, so one person being um, a subject matter expert in all those areas isn't really realistic for what we do. So we kind of at each site have a coordinator for that. And then they work independently with uh, their department heads to find out, okay, this is what's gonna work best in this department. And they kind of support them in what their needs are. Um, if they need, you know, need something created or developed, whether it's a document or some kind of a program or something, they'll work internally to make sure that they're, they're meeting the needs. Interesting. And, you know, I think the thing that probably most people don't realize is how many actual businesses you're in, right? Because you're, you're not just running a racetrack. You're, you've got, you know, food and beverage, you've got concession stands, you've got all kinds of other entertainment going on. You've got multiple venues where people can go. It, it's got to be a tremendous amount of work for people to actually, you know, feel or, or, or understand uh, what's going on. Um, how do you orientate people? Like, okay, it's race day. I'm, I'm coming in. You've got, I'm sure every year it's not the same, right? Maybe sometimes it's the same, but I'm sure you, you know, there, there are new sponsorships, there's new things going on, there are new setups. Um, you know, when I've, when I've gone to NASCAR racetracks, um, it kind of rem reminds me of the, the Shakespearean plays. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Shakespeare did plays, they would actually have a bear tied to a pole and people would be taunting the bear during the play as a form of entertainment because it, it was just how things were done. And, when you go to a NASCAR race, you know, from my experience, you've got a lot going on there that you've got things outside the event, you've got, you know, pavilions, you've got all these things going on. How do you orientate people so they know all the things that are going on? I think it's uh, one thing that we have found helpful is we do it because the distance. So we have uh, NASCAR owns 15 different racetracks that actually NASCAR owns, um, and they're all over the country. So, and we have people that travel from track to track. So now you've got a different facility, but what we've learned is prior to those events, we will do, um, uh, it, now, in the, now in the COVID world, everything is Zoom or you know uh, video yeah. calls. Um, even prior to that, we just get everybody on a phone call and kind of walk through the whole event. Um, again, it's the department heads. You can't have a thousand employees on one phone call, but empowering those department heads to teach their employees and come up with what they believe is gonna be the most effective. Um, it's kind of, it is, it's a huge juggling act, the events that we put on and everything goes good. But what I try to, you know, remind folks is that that juggler is doing a great job and he's got five or six balls up in the air. But if you take one of those out when he's not expecting it, it's not going to go so good. And that those, you know, it's, it's a team effort. Um, and when the employees come in, I think the most important thing for us as an entertainment business um, is just is to implore upon them to understand that the fans, the fans are the reason we're there. The fans should come first. Um, and we, anything we can do to make their experience better um, in a safe way. Um, and, you know, that I think that's the most important thing and really um, pushing the teamwork element. And our business is no different than any other business. You know, sometimes people get in their silos and uh, the one department doesn't talk to the other, but we really push that, that every department has to be integrated to make that fan experience and make the event go off um, as it should. You, you know, I loved it when you said we're in the entertainment business. 
because that's really what you're in, right? Yeah. You're you're not in the racing business. You you do racing, and that's but, and that's what it yeah, absolutely. If you you know a few years ago, if you asked anybody, NASCAR would be synonymous with racing racing events. But now we we've, we've done concerts. Um, you know, uh, Daytona International Speedway is getting ready to do a soccer event at a race a race facility. Um, you know, as the world has kind of evolved in the different types of entertainment venues and stuff. Um, you know, the, the industry, the company has changed with that as well. And so with those, I did, I did a, a huge corporate event. I had like 500 people come down and we, I can't remember how many mock races, but they all got to ride with a rider in, uh, um, in the car and simulate a race. And, and uh, there were all kinds of things to people to do. And there was a dinner and I mean, it was amazing, an amazing event. Yeah, and that, that's really where the, it's going is because you have these huge facilities and, you know, we, there are some that are only have major events two or three, three two or three days a year, but, but that facility has to be maintained the whole year. And so finding those other ways to bring people in and expose them to it. Um, when I retired from the fire department, my, some of my coworkers were like, what are you going to do? They only have two or three races a year there. They didn't know that there were about 275, 280 days of track activity between you know, the stuff you see on TV is the big stuff, but there's all these other small things like you're talking about that you, know, you bring a corporation in and show them what the facility is and they get that experience. They go home and talk about that. Oh, yeah. It's really, a dry, you know, it drives people to want it. Any exposure at a facility um, will drive people to, you know, kind of pique their interest on what, what is NASCAR? You know, what are they doing? Um, why were they there for a corporate thing that, you know, sells widgets? You know that, but it's well, it, I, I can tell you, here's here's my plug for those corporate events is it brings more people to the event you're holding, right? We were holding a national convention. This was sort of our culmination party at the end. And, you know, do you think that people want to drive, want to race around a NASCAR racetrack? Absolutely. Um, so, but at the same token, well, schools, not everybody wants to run around a NASCAR racetrack. So you got to have all kinds of other things for people to do. And it was really, it was really a great, a great event. Tortle Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit tortle.com slash learning dash development. How do you guys measure success? As it relates to training, I, th you know, I think in a perfect world, some people would say, well, if nobody gets hurt, nobody complains about the service they got, it's a success. It's a success. Um, I don't know that that's, that's 100%. That is a good, a, a good way to measure it, but I don't know that maybe we just had good luck. You know, um, yeah. so really, I think just we have to see some consistency, some time and time again. If you have the same ten people um, do the same task ten times and nothing happens, okay, they were probably properly, you know, trained to do that task. If they do it ten times and three or four of them, you know, mess up on multiple occasions, okay, it, it, we have to reassess. And I think that when I look at training and stuff that's going on, regardless of how it's being applied, once you train somebody then, okay, we've trained them. Then you have to figure, okay, what's the, when do we, when's the remedial training or when do we, when do we bring that back up? And, you know, I don't believe in just doing it after something happens, you know, every now and then let's, you know, pull out the, the curriculum, look at it and say, okay, yeah, we need to adjust this. We need to update it. 
Um, but not waiting until something happens, I think, um, helps us prepare and make sure that we're, we are providing, I'll say, cutting edge training to, to our staff. Um, and again, is this, I think it takes, you know, a couple years or a couple events to look back and say, okay, we're, we're not seeing, we used to have this happening, we've trained, we're not seeing that, but it's kind of like the, the ball always moves to somewhere else. It's okay, so we fixed this, and now we've got to focus over here because the technology's changed and, you know, we're not pulling tickets apart, so nobody's getting paper cuts, now we're using scanners. So now we got to make sure that the employees are trained on how to use these new scanners. And that really, I mean, technology touches everything, and that's that's the thing we have to factor in. At the day of a the Daytona 500, if they tell us, hey, by the way, we're not using paper tickets anymore, we're going to use these scanners, and now we've got 200 employees that have never seen this scanner, that's probably not going to go over real well. It's a great opportunity for teaching, but it's not at the, at the uh, opportune time. Well, I love what you're saying because you're really talking about observational observance you're looking to see does someone actually know and and not a lot of companies do that a lot of companies will look at metrics of statistics and things like that as opposed to observational uh, observance of, of the actual knowledge of the training which i think is great i want to shift into how you train and i know your loss management and this may not be fully in your area, how you train mid-management or, or higher management leadership. But before you do, I, as I told you in the pre-thing, we're gonna do just a little plug. Um, training Unleashed uh, has quite a following. We're very proud of how many people listen to these shows or, or watch it on C-Suite TV, which I'm very happy to be a member of C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. Um, we're coming out with a book club. And the book club is going to be designed for people that want to learn about leadership, management, training. And, you know, the theme is really training, but, you know, leadership and management it all go together pretty well. Um, and what the way the book club is going to work is that the members of the book club are going to pick the book every, every we're not going to do a book a month. We're going to do a book like every, a little like, I want to say every 10 weeks. Uh, but there'll be stopping points. It's going to be professionally managed. It's going to be really cool. So my plug is to go to trainingunleash.com uh, and sign up for the book club. Uh, but the reason I'm using this as a, as a switch into talking about mid-level mid management training and senior management training is one of the most effective tools I have seen is that people read common books together and have conversations about them. Uh, because that it is a form of training that's fun and simple, but um, enough for my plug on the on the book club. Um, but how you know what do you how do you go about mid level training and senior management training uh, at NASCAR? You know, uh, great question. So uh, you know, prior to like you're saying prior to COVID, you know, the opportunity was to get our management together and share best practices. Um, we had at least an annual event where we would do that on a, a very large scale. Um, but now it's really, um, you know, there's distance-based stuff that we're, you know, we're having to do, obviously. Um, you know, I'm one, I, I, I get stuff all the time and even, uh, webinars that'll pop up and go, oh, that's going to be interesting, you know. Um, I think the focus in my career, my experience with the company is really there's a, there's a push that, you know, hiring the right people. You know, NASCAR is a big company and a lot of people would just like to put that on their resume. They work for NASCAR. So you may put, put out for a position and get 150 applicants or something, and you're only looking for one. So you hire in the best applicant, but if that person 
didn't come from another racetrack, how do you get them that education? And that's at any level, but it's definitely at the, the mid-management level. And there are a lot of similarities, you know, in, in that level, you know, dealing with accounting, dealing with, you know, the finance people and stuff. Um, but I think what we have found or what I would say I've seen is be most beneficial is that peer-to-peer and people actually training up their, I don't, I don't say train up their replacement, but train up the people that they work with. You know, and I think mentoring, that, I think, is the term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mentor. And, you know, and, you know, in some industries and sometimes people are afraid to do that because, wait a minute, if he knows how to do my job, they don't they, they won't need me. You know, and I think I look at it from like a military perspective. Some of my you know buddies that have been in there have told me, you know, you always want the guy next to you, the guy behind you to know your job in case you can't do it. You know, and I think that's what we we kind of lean on is making sure that everybody and it, yeah, mentoring was the word I wasn't coming up with, but um, that is definitely what um, is beneficial in this industry that's so diverse because you can be in racing for thirty, you know, as long as they've been doing it. But now, by the way, hey, we're uh, we're going to start putting on concerts. You don't know anything about doing a concert, so how do you do that? How you do that correctly? You find yeah. a better expert and you lean on them. And you bring them in and now you've got that knowledge. So the next guy that comes in behind you, now you can tell them what you've learned because you've actually done it. And, you know, book, book work and doing, doing stuff like that is beneficial. But until you actually have the ability to apply it, it's just kind of sitting in the, the, the gray area there until you actually apply it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a guy's Navy SEAL. And he says, when you, you go as a Navy SEAL, you might estimate 50% of the SEALs are going to lose their life in the, in the mission. You don't wish it, but you, know, you prepare for it. So every Navy SEAL has to have the ability to actually lead the mission, every one of them. So that you, you, know, you can't just go in and assume, well, there's the one leader because that leader could die. Absolutely. So you don't know who's going to be the next leader. Uh, so... You know, I, I really love the idea of mentoring. It's, uh, you know, and, and having people ready um, absolutely is a, is, a, is, a tr- is a terrific way to go. Um, I'm just to share with you that a long time ago, I was in the floor covering business. And one of the biggest things that would happen in floor covering is you would always hire people in the floor covering business because no one ever had time to train, right? So all the product training, all that stuff took forever so you would hire people and then at a certain point realize that, you know, maybe you needed fresh people with fresh mindset that could be trained on newer ideas and innovation. And that when you, you know, it's harder to unlearn than it is to learn. So when you have training and mentoring programs, you can actually bring in the best people and not just bring people that have pre-existing knowledge. Um, which it sounds like that's the way you're thinking, and uh, uh, which I, I think is which I think is is great. Yeah, I think there's a balance that has to be struck between finding somebody with a, a you know a developed resume, but then are they willing to or are they, are you able to train them on what they don't know, and do they know what they don't know? Um, yeah, I, I've often taken positions where I, it, the hardest thing at first is realize knowing what you don't know. And the minute you realize it, you're much better off. And I think that sometimes, you know, people look at resumes and they'll, they'll bring somebody in and maybe pass somebody else over. But as you stated, it's sometimes it's much easier to train somebody to do it the right way than to untrain them from doing it the way they've always done it. 
Well, you know, I think you know that I'm pro-training, right? <laughs> this is a show that's pro-training. Absolutely. And, and having competent training enables companies to have the freedom to choose, right? You might bring in someone who's seasoned because you think they're the right person, or you might not bring in someone seasoned and training is the freedom to make that choice. Um, is So I'm, you know, unabashedly pro-training here. Um, so live it, breathe it. Um, so let's, uh, we're getting to the end. And we promised everyone at the beginning that you were going to share some tips. If you went to a NASCAR racetrack, what you should look at, look for that maybe you're not looking at. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So, you know, I, in NASCAR, you know, the different types of racing isn't for everybody. And I'll have people talk to me. It's like, oh, sometimes it gets so boring. And, and I'll ask them, I'm like, well, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you watch the race for? And like, well, you know, the car's going around the track and, you know, everybody's got their favorite driver. And what I try to get people to do is there's so much other stuff going on. And the number one thing I think that people overlook is what goes on on pit road. And there's some people that will come to our events. They'll never leave their camper. They'll watch it on their TV. They just want that experience. Other people will go sit up in the, the grandstands and they'll watch the race. There's other people that want to be on pit road. And I think if you watch the races with any consistency, you're going to see that some of these races are decided by hundreds of hundreds, one thousandths of a second or whatever. Um, and that time, yeah, it can be made up on the track. But watch pit road. Look at what these teams do. And I say team, um, you know, there's always a big discussion out there whether these drivers are athletes and if they're driving around in a circle or whatever. Even if you take the drivers out of it, look at what these crews do on pit road. Full tire change, um, get, you know, fuel in the car and stuff, and they're done in like eight seconds. I'm mad if Jiffy Loop takes 10 minutes for my vehicle. I mean, it's just amazing. And some of those those guys that are on those pit crews, that's not their full-time job. They're the Monday through Friday doing something else. And then they fly into the racetrack or drive in dependent upon their team's budget. And, but they train for that. And it's just amazing. And I think, and I've actually had a few people that I've told that to like, you know, I've never thought about it that way. And you get down there, you, you know, you, whatever the ticket costs is get on pit road and you see what those guys are doing. And I think it gets you another aspect. And then when you look at okay, those are the guys that make that car go. And then they get the car back out on track and you realize the drivers are the ones that are in front of the camera and they're the ones that people want autographs and stuff. But I have seen little kids ask the, um, some of the pit guys for their autographs and stuff. And it's completely different. Um, but so I think that's a missed element that some people as they get into the sport or maybe they really can't dive into it. Um, I think that's something that would give, uh, give them another perspective on just what it takes to, for those cars to go out there and do what they do. Well, I've had the privilege of watching a NASCAR racetrack and being able to observe pit row in, you know, in the, in the pit area. And it is incredibly impressive. Uh, it's a great example of not just teamwork, but training. Uh, it's actually athletic, the speed in which they move. Uh, and then the, the ability to observe and make changes at the last second, depending on, you know, what's happening with the, with the car and the tires and, you know, can they, something happen to a tire, they got to replace the tire. I mean, all these last minute decisions and working together as a team is, uh, is a, it's really, I think, very impressive from not just because you should observe it as a fan, but just to appreciate it, it as somebody that, uh, that loves training. Yeah. Uh, so we're down to the last question, Jay. Every guest knows what this question is. If you had one tip to share with the audience, what would that tip be? 
my tip for the audience is when, you know, train, we all through this, we talked about how vital training is. And I think the best resource that we have are the people that are doing the job for us. And I think so often, and I, you know, whether it's upper management, mid management or whatever, they forget to take into the account, the people that are out there, um, actually doing the work and getting their input. And I'm not saying that you always have to take it and, and run with it, but sometimes you have that little nugget that you'll get from an employee. And what I like to say is, you know, I'll hear people say, well, well why do we do that? And somebody will say, well, that's the way we've always done it. And I love to counter them with saying, the way we've always done it isn't the way we always have to do it. Don't change just to change, but getting down to those people that are out there doing the job, you know, doing those tasks that we're telling them how to do, they're doing it and they know how to do it. So I think that's my tip is everybody has something to offer. It doesn't matter what their pay scale is or what their title is. Everybody has something to offer. And if we take that advice and work it into what we're doing, I think we're better off as trainers and overall as a company and for me as sport and entertainment venue. Well, I think that's a tip everyone can use. Uh, I, I really do. And it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we do a lot of consulting work with clients and things like that. And we always insist that we include the actual people doing the actual work. Because believe it or not, they know something. Uh, and a lot of times management, and I'm not talking about NASCAR, but I'm just talking about in general, uh, makes decisions without bringing in the people that are actually in the field doing the actual work. So I love your tip. It's a great tip. Um, I want to thank you, Jay, for being a great guest. I want to thank all of our listeners. I want to thank the C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio for being great partners. Um, listeners, especially thank you. And please go to trainingunleashed.net. Join our book club. It's going to be amazing. Everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Total Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Total makes effective training easier. Just go to Tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's Tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, Tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.